Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders here. If you are visiting with us, especially for the first time, we are really glad to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. There are Bibles available if you need one, along with uh, printouts so you can follow along with the sermon just out in the the lobby. In February of 1964, world heavyweight boxing champion Sonny Liston fought against a much smaller contender. Liston was favored to win at 7-1 to odds, and in the lead-up to the big fight, the challenger, 22-year-old Cassius Clay, was asked for his thoughts on the coming matchup, and he responded with perhaps the most famous quote in boxing history. I'm going to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Shortly after defeating Sonny Liston and becoming the youngest person ever to defeat a reigning heavyweight champion, Clay changed his name to... Muhammad Ali. And for many years, he used that same line to talk trash to his opponents. For example, 10 years later, just before taking on George Foreman in the ring, Muhammad Ali turned that line into a full-blown poem. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. (laughs) Muhammad Ali was known not only for exceptional boxing, but also for exceptional trash talk. And while it's not fun to be the object of such trash talk, isn't there a guilty pleasure in watching it take place? There's something special about a medium-sized basketball player dunking over a taller defender and dropping down to earth with something sharp to say. Now, it's true that much trash talk is foolish and worldly, but not all of it. Not all of it. This morning, we're going to see that when it comes to taking down the bad guys, God himself gets his game face on. God himself is the chief of trash talkers when evil oppressors are well deserving of it. And the point for all of us this morning is that we can't be naive. There is a battle going on all around us. So it's time to get your game face on. It's time to get your game face on. That's where we're heading as we finish the prophecy of Nahum this morning. Let me pray for us as we dive into it. Our Father in heaven, we ask, O Lord, that you would please open our eyes 
to see wonderful things and to see you for who you are in the pages of your word that we might more clearly and effectively behold your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, and we might set our hope in him as the only refuge for our souls from the wrath that is certain to come. Strengthen us, we ask, by the power of your Spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we finish our study of the prophet Nahum. If you have one of the, the Bibles from the lobby, it's on page 735. And as the prophet closes out his book, it's the final press conference before fight night. And the Lord's trash talk toward the evil empire of Assyria and its capital city of Nineveh has four parts that you can see in your outline. Remember my record, you're certain to lose. Abandon all hope, your death will make news. Let's walk through them in order. Number one, Allie's working on a worship song. It'll be coming up soon. Remember my record. We're in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart a sea and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. So God begins his pre-fight press conference here by reminding his opponent of his record up to this point. Take a look at what I've done to other opponents. You don't think you'll be any different than them, do you? In particular, he wants the people of Nineveh to look at what happened to Thebes. In verse 8, Thebes was a powerful city in Egypt situated right in the Nile Delta. It, Thebes had deserts to the south and the west It had the Nile River to the east, and it had the Mediterranean Sea to the north. You see, on all sides, it was virtually unassailable. It had these natural fortifications all around. And for that reason, Egypt put a lot of hope in that city. They built avenues through it, lined with sphinxes, along with one of their most lavish temples to the god Amun. However, here we are, and this verse helps us to date the book of Nahum because Thebes was sacked in 663 B.C. by the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal. And so this book must have been written shortly after that because he wants them to look back at what just happened to Thebes. And upon defeating the city, the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal carried away Pharaoh's own son into captivity. 
And Egypt is still reeling from the defeat, living in utter shock that this could have happened to them. And so God takes credit here for what Assyria had done there. And he asks Assyria herself here in verse 8, Are you any better than Thebes? Thebes had all those natural fortifications. It had lots of local allies, Cush and Put and the Libyans. But Thebes still fell. So why do you put confidence in your strength? Now, perhaps Assyria could be thinking that they were the ones responsible for the downfall of Thebes. I mean, wasn't it, didn't I just tell you it was the Assyrian king who sacked the city and took Pharaoh's son captive? Isn't Thebes a notch in Assyria's belt? Well, that's the funny thing about trash talk when it's done properly. Is it takes an opponent's greatest strengths and turns them around into liabilities. See, the whole reason Assyria was able to take Thebes was because Assyria was but a pawn in the hand of Yahweh. And now that Assyria has come to think too highly of herself, Yahweh is done with her. Verse 10, he says, Thebes went into exile, and he'll say in verse 11, you too, Nineveh, will be drunken and go into hiding. So the first phase here of Yahweh's pre-fight press conference, the beginning of his trash talk is to ask Nineveh to remember his record. Look at what I did to Thebes. That's somewhat benign, so he gets a lot more aggressive and entertaining from there. The, The thing we must see is that there's a real battle here. As God's people, it's time to get your game face on. The reminder of his record leads us right into the next section where he assures Nineveh, point number two, you're certain to lose. Look at verses 11 through 13. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Now, this stanza provides It presents three unflattering metaphors for Nineveh. All of them are driving at the foregone conclusion of Assyria's downfall. The first metaphor in verse 11 is that you, Nineveh, are like a drunk. It's 2 a.m. and the bar is closing You're probably not even aware what time it is. You're not sure why the establishment is being emptied of its customers. And when the punches start flying, how will you defend yourself? You know, you could search YouTube. I tried this a few days ago just to make sure. You could search YouTube for videos of drunk men in a fist fight. It's pretty entertaining because of how embarrassing it is. God says that Nineveh will try to hide, but it won't work. You know, like a frat boy 
who got himself so smashed that when the police show up at the party, he just lays on the couch and pulls a little blankie over his face. Maybe they won't find him, you know? Until he retches and vomits all over the place, giving away his incredible hiding spot. See, the first problem is that drunk men can't do either thing very well. They can't fight and they can't hide. And that's Nineveh in the upcoming fight against God. The second metaphor in verse 12 is that Nineveh, you are like ripe fig trees. You've locked yourself up in fortresses that are like fig trees, but those fig trees are so ripe, we won't even have to pluck them. All we have to do is poke them and the figs will fall right down into our mouths. In the same way, Nineveh will soon get poked and it will fall. The walls of her fortresses might as well be made of cardboard for all the good they'll do. The second problem is that ripe figs are bound to fall. Nineveh's fortresses will not stand. You see how funny this gets? (laughs) That's Nineveh in the upcoming fight against God. The third metaphor in verse 13 is you are like a bunch of giggly girls. Now, for the record, there's absolutely nothing wrong objectively with a bunch of giggly girls unless you need to defend your gates from an assault. See, the ladies are all supposed to be well protected deep within the fortress. Those precious girls aren't supposed to be the final bulwark against an enemy assault. So by calling the troops women in verse 13, he is insulting their manhood. He's saying something a little like, you throw like a girl, except there's way more at stake than just throwing a baseball. The third problem is that Nineveh's defenders are a bunch of cowards and sissies. And the gates will be easily breached by enemies. That's Nineveh in the fight against God. Now, do you see how the Lord taunts the bad guys here? They think they are standing firm on solid ground, but God teases them. He pokes fun at them and he dares them to defend themselves against him. Why does he do this? Remember, this book was not actually written for the Ninevites. It was written for God's people, the people of Judah, who were suffering under the Assyrian oppression. And I know that some of you have suffered terribly at the hands of evil people. Some of us have suffered terrible things in the past. Some of us continue to suffer terrible things in the present. And many of us will suffer more terrible things in the future. And this text demonstrates for us that the Lord sees what has happened. And he will do something about it. 
He is not afraid of the bad guys. In fact, they need to be far more afraid of him. Because he will not allow them to continue what they are doing. He is going to end them. So when God comes along and he makes fun of evil oppressors, I think he's teaching his people that the bad guys really aren't as tough as they think they are. The scary oppressor doesn't need to seem all that scary to us, at least not when they're about to enter the ring with the defender of Israel. So as the cameras flash at the pre-fight press conference, God talks his trash to the reigning champs, vowing that they won't be able to defend their title against him. Remember my record, you're certain to lose. The thing we must see is that there's a real battle here. As God's people, it's time to get your game face on. The next thing he does is get even more direct by warning them in point number three to abandon all hope. Verses 14 through 17. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fences in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. As the Lord continues his trash talk at his pre-fight press conference, he has a way of exposing the vulnerabilities of his opponent. Verse 14, he knows that the people of Nineveh will trust in their fortifications. They'll continue making clay and mortar to strengthen their walls with bricks. But in verse 15, he assures them that his fire will still reach them wherever they go. They could be on the wall, they could be in their homes, they could even be at the quarry. It doesn't matter, the fire will still find them out. And then he gets to their greatest vulnerability, which is their booming economy and their governance. Verse 16, they can't even count the members of their mercantile class. In verse 17, they have a deep bench of princes and lawmakers, but the problem for them is that there is for Nineveh no strength in numbers. Not for Nineveh, not anymore. All those multitudes at the end of verse 17 are going to fly off into the sunset. And the king, as we'll see in a moment, will be left all alone. God is basically poking Nineveh right in the eye. 
He's taking everything they trust in and he exposes it as just another irrational hope. You, Nineveh, should abandon all hope. Even those things that you think are in your favor are really not in your favor. It will all float away and disappear like the morning dew. Friends, the thing we must see is that there is a real battle here. As God's people, it's time to get your game face on. Because once the Lord exposes their vulnerability, he completes his trash talk with one final blow. It's as though God starts humming a tune. You know, this press conference of his, it needs a soundtrack. And it goes like this. Dun, 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 dun. That's the final section of this closing speech. Point number four. Your death will make news. Look at the last two verses of this book. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. You wanted to get in the ring with me, Nineveh? Well, I hope you've got life insurance because you're about to meet your end. Verse 18, the Lord addresses the king of Assyria who can do nothing to stop the bleeding. His people and his leaders and his generals are all disappearing. And the wound in verse 19 is grievous. The carotid artery has been severed and there is no way to staunch this thing and stop the loss of life. But that's okay. Because you know what? There's already a planning committee in place for Nineveh's passing. And for this death, there's no need for an undertaker. What we really need is a party planner. Because in verse 19, right at the end, whenever people hear about Nineveh's demise, they will clap and shout for joy. The whole world has suffered under the oppression of this evil empire for far too long. Not one nation has escaped suffering at Nineveh's hand. So no tears will be shed when this king is dead and gone. When the empire passes away, there will be dancing in the streets. On November 25th, 2016... Fidel Castro died at age 90. It was 10.29 p.m. He had ruled over as a tyrant over communist Cuba for nearly 50 years. And within an hour of his death, news had reached the displaced Cuban community in Miami, Florida. And they came out of their homes at midnight... 
dancing in the streets, banging on pots, singing, waving Cuban and American flags. The celebration went on for about five hours. The police had to close down the main street of that section of Miami so that the revelry could go on and on and on. When the sun came up, many of the people went home to take a nap because it was a long night. And then they came back out and continued dancing and celebrating for much of the next day. That's what happens when tyrants die. It happened with Assyria. It happened with Fidel Castro. And it will happen with every other despicable human being who tries to unseat God as king of the universe. Just start mowing down innocent people, exerting your will over those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have signed your own death warrant. It's only a matter of time. That is the promise God makes at his pre-fight press conference. That is the sort of trash the king of heaven and earth can talk And he has a long track record of backing up his threats with action. All enemies of God and of his Christ, beware. He's still laughing over Nineveh. And he is not scared. He is not frightened of your puny little claims to power. He's not afraid of your mass murder or your religious oppression in all its wicked forms today. What we must see in this text is that justice is possible. Justice will be done. There is a God who will take down all the bad guys at just the right time. So if you have not yet done so, please join God's team. Join God's army before it is too late for you. Find your refuge in Jesus Christ, God's appointed captain, the only one who can protect you from the wrath to come. All kingdoms that oppose Jesus will go down in a blaze of glory. Remember my record. You're certain to lose. Abandon all hope. Your death will make news. Muhammad Ali had nothing on Yahweh, the God of Israel. Our God is the greatest trash talker of all time. And it's not just talk. He does all that he says he will do. So what else do we do with this? What Besides standing in amazement at what the Lord has to say to evil people, what difference ought this to make in our lives today? Those who who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing we must see is that there is a real battle here. 
As God's people, it's time to get your game face on. What do I mean by that? Well, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, do not forget that the Christian life is what the medievals called contra mundum, which means against the world. There is a real battle going on with real enemies. Now, there is a lot that we can and ought to learn from people who disagree with us. I'm not just talking about any kind of disagreement. Because it's when people or nations directly assault God's people that lines ought to be drawn. As Christians, in the process of seeking God's rest, we must not fall asleep. Though we declare God's peace to the world, we must not ever make our peace with the world. As exiles on earth, God commands us to seek the welfare of our nation and the welfare of the people around us, but that never means assimilating into the culture and becoming just like everybody else. We must think differently. We must speak differently. We must spend our time differently and spend our money differently. We're not here just to accumulate power and wealth, to get more gadgets and nicer cars and fancier clothes. No, we are on a mission from the king of kings, the one who talks trash to the kings of the earth. Those who think they can hold on to power even while denying him. Those who think that they can do whatever they want and get away with it. We are here to be different. To act differently. We are here to speak a message of transformation and reconciliation between people and nations and races. So that all might turn away from worshipping themselves to worship the one and only God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, it's time to get your game face on. Opposition to the truth of God is growing. Opposition to the people of God is growing. And I'm not trying to alarm you, but I am persuaded from the scripture that we are strangers and exiles in this place. Not just the international students residing here in State College, but every one of us who testifies that Jesus is Lord. This world is not our home. The United States is not the kingdom of God. And so the Christian's identity is not wrapped up even in the strength or the success of the United States. As this nation or any other nation increasingly opposes God and assaults the innocent, God will have to take it down. And such a downfall is something that God's people will rejoice over. It's time to get your game face on. When you go home this afternoon, 
Will it be back to life as usual? How can you spend this afternoon in a way that acknowledges that Jesus is Lord? How can you eat and rest and play and worship and sleep as though you are not the Lord and this world is not your home, but Jesus is the Lord and heaven is wherever he is honored? It's time to get your game face on. Be comforted to know that your God is able to back up his trash talk with a championship performance. Because Assyria was not the last evil empire to exist in the history of the world. Assyria was not the only place filled with evil, oppression, and violence. Such nations and such behaviors and such world systems have always been with us and they will remain with us until the day Jesus returns. And so the Apostle Paul speaks of the great comfort and grace that comes to God's people when they have a clear grasp on the coming wrath of God against evil. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. This is the good news about Jesus. He will come back and he will be glorified and his glory will take the shape of worship for some people and eternal destruction for others. Jesus is Lord. Friends, we cannot fall asleep in this battle. Satan does not sleep and he delights to deceive God's people into thinking they can just be friends with the world around them. So please pay attention to your king this morning. The one who laughs at the kingdoms of the world and assures them that their funeral is on its way. <coughs> Excuse me. When the Lord Jesus brings about the end of all the systemic injustice... And all the world systems that oppose him, the book of Revelation says that all of God's people who hear of it will clap their hands and throw a big party, just like Nahum said. It's in Revelation 19. I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Praise God! 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, praise God, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. See, that's a picture of heaven, the party, rejoicing over the eternal destruction of the evil empires. Let's sing and rejoice. You've heard God's pre-fight press conference. You've witnessed him trash-talking his enemies. Remember my record. You're certain to lose. Abandon all hope. Your death will make news. And brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, today, this week, it's time to get your game face on. Do not forget about the battle that we have been appointed to. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, (coughs) please open our eyes To see the world for what it is. A lost and desperate place. And that with which we must not make ultimate friendship. Help us to see what you have called us to. To live as strangers and exiles. To live differently. To wage this war with the weapons you have given to us. Of our prayers that go up before you as a pleasing aroma that you will collect and gather up and hurl back to the earth in a fireball of judgment. We have your word that you've called us to proclaim that goes out like a double-edged sword slaying your enemies. Help us to stand fast and to live our lives as though we're in the middle of a battle. And we have not yet left your service. We are not yet discharged, though we long for that day when we will enter our final heavenly rest, when Jesus returns or we set aside this mortal flesh. Please strengthen us, and we ask, Lord, that you would please take down the evil that is around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.